I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? Are we legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. You are on location in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. Um, so obviously we're going to get into that. Trevor's going to give us his impressions of practice day one, who impressed, who did not. We'll talk Ben Johnson news as well, because that's a, a pretty crazy piece of, of news that broke during the day here, or yesterday rather, um, in the NFL in the NFL stratosphere. But before we get to any of that, we've got to tell you about a deal we have going with the PFF Mock Draft Simulator. The MDS 30 MDS 30 MDS is your promo code to get you 30% off. It's draft season now. That's all you're going to be hearing for the next several months. Go in there, draft to your heart's content, fix your football team in a way that your GM won't, frankly. You know it. I know it. You go and do a better job. 30 MDS gets you 30% off the Mock Draft Sim. All right, Trev, how has the wonderful, wonderful location of Mobile been treating you? Oh, it's been great. I mean, you say that you are in uh, in your basement. I'm in Jim Nagy's basement because everyone Perfect. who covers the Senior Bowl, we all just stay in Jim Nagy's basement. <laughs> so that's uh, that's where I am. No, but uh, Mobile is actually great. You know, there are some times when you come to Mobile and the weather can be a little bit squirrely, but it's pretty picture-perfect one day in, knock on wood. Hopefully I'm not jinxing myself there. And we saw a lot of really great football. I mean, this is a stacked Senior Bowl roster, top to bottom. The trench battles, the first rounders, the second rounders, the the day three gems. I mean, this Senior Bowl class has all of that. And I've been covering this for, this is my seventh year now. And I don't know if top to bottom I've seen a group as talented as this one. So it's made for a lot of really fun one-on-ones and some scrimmage, scrimmage portions already. And we've already had a lot of guys stand out, even to first round caliber types of levels. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I'm obviously way behind you in terms of draft prep and sort of learning the full breadth of this class and all the names in there. I've done the the stuff that we do, did during the season, the kind of high level position by position stuff. And then I started diving a little bit deeper over the last couple of weeks. And already there's tons of guys that I've sort of identified that I liked. And then you look at the senior ball roster and you're like, oh, he's there. Cool. <laughs> we'll get to see him for a week of senior ball practice and all-star scrimmage and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Let's start, though, and talk about massive news that broke yesterday, that Ben Johnson, Detroit Lions offense coordinator, for the second year in a row, has withdrawn his name from the the head coaching search, um, depending on who you listen to. And this is now the problem we live in with this world of insiders trading on, you know, information that's fed to them by agents or by teams or by players or whoever and is regurgitated verbatim with whatever editorializing and spin is put on it, it's impossible to tell what actually happened. One guy is going to tell you that Ben Johnson withdrew his name. Another person is going to say, eh, they weren't that interested in him to begin with. Um, But what is your read on the situation? And then we'll get into some of the the reports that are out there. You know, obviously, it all depends on what really happened behind the scenes, right? Exactly what you talked about. But on the surface level, from our side of things, the first thing that comes to my head is, holy cow, what a culture Dan Campbell is building with the Lions. Because if it's just straight up Ben Johnson 
felt unfinished business in Detroit, that he wanted to stay in Detroit, or, or maybe even that he didn't, or he wasn't dying to be a head coach yet, right? I think that that's such a foreign concept to a lot of people. They're like, whoa, what are you talking about? You, you, every coordinator would want to be a head coach immediately. Well, I don't know if that's the case with literally everyone, and it kind of feels like now two years in a row, Ben Johnson's had the opportunity to jump to a head coaching role, and he has said no. I mean, when you talk about the money that this dude has turned down over the last two cycles, when you look at last year, a lot of people would say, oh, okay, you know, he, he, he didn't want to work for for David Tepper. He didn't. He, he kind of sniffed what was going on in Carolina. He didn't really want that. Tepper's one of the re- richest owners that there is. So for him to say no to Tepper, if they really wanted him— I mean, you're talking about turning down a lot of money and probably was would have done the same thing if he would have been seriously considered for Carolina. But new ownership group uh, in Washington, you know, they got a lot of capitalists to spend. They're trying to nail it. Obviously, with Seattle, you can't just replace Pete Carroll with anybody. You've got to replace him with somebody who you know is going to be successful because the, the, the floor that Pete had was so high. So all of this to say, Ben Johnson has turned down really great opportunities over the last couple of years. But he has done so, I think, partially because of how great it is to be in Detroit right now. This is a team that, oh my God, when when they lost to the 49ers, it felt like we were all, I mean, not 49ers fans, obviously, but like <laughs> it felt like if you were neutral at all in this game, you felt heartbroken. Like you felt yeah. a little sad for the Lions, not just how they lost, but just that they lost in general. And... The way that you look at what this team has done, what Dan Campbell has done, you know, obviously when they were on hard knocks, like how they have captivated so many people, I don't think that's bullshit. I don't think that's just them putting on a front. I think it is a genuine culture that is, I would say, now solidified in Detroit under Dan Campbell. And uh, I think it's sort of a combination of a handful of things with Ben Johnson, but part of that pie is, to me, absolutely the fact that uh, Detroit and how that franchise was once looked at, uh, that's different now. This is one of the premier franchises that you can work for in the league. You and I both had similar reactions um, when, when I first got your take with it before we went on and, and just my reaction at the time, which is, okay, last year, one time, it kind of makes some sense. Twice in a row is a little bit weird. You know, like it, I can understand you taking a look at Caroline last year. And even if he was willing to throw a ton of money at you saying, I just don't love the way this looks. And I'm not I'm not into the Carolina thing. I'm going to stay back for a year in Detroit. I back myself to do even better this time around. And that worked out. Right. And I'll have an even better opportunity next year. And that worked like he he bet on himself. The Lions were even better. His job was was just as good, if not better. They almost went to the Super Bowl. And he comes into this cycle at least as hot a candidate as he was a year ago. And consequently, the job that he looked most likely to get was that Washington job, which I think was a better option this time around than Carolina was a year ago. Um, Mm -hmm. You're looking at the number two overall pick rather than the one. Okay. Uh, But they have a ton of cap space. They have a new owner who has, who's been in the sports business before has just dropped a ton of money on it. And at least from so far, looks like he a knows what he's doing and B is not, you know, going to want to meddle every three seconds at everything. Right. No sort of wants to do it the right way that looks like a really good opportunity you've also got a lot of playmakers you know at at various different levels it's a reasonable roster it's not in an absolute disastrous state i think a good coach if he gets a quarterback i.e the number two overall pick 
could turn that into something pretty impressive quite quickly. So to to sort of look at that and say, I'm not interested in either of those two years in a row, that's where it starts to look a little bit strange to me. And, you know, obviously Lions fans are just going to take it as face value. Well, he said he's got unfinished business. Well, Dan Campbell himself told the team that might have been our one shot. You know, we don't mm-hmm. know if we're going to get back again ever. We, we'd like to think we'll be back next year and we'll do it again. And next year we'll be our, they might never get back. That might've been it. That might've been their one shot. That might've been their 84 dolphins where everything looked like it was on the way up and Marino never sniffed the Super Bowl again. If that was their one shot, like it, throwing away an opportunity to coach an NFL head, an NFL team as the main guy, you, it might not come around again. So as much as, yeah, it's plausible that he just loves it in Detroit and he feels unfinished business and he wants to get that ring and all those kinds of things. It still is very strange to, to sort of assume that that door will always be there. Like there are coaches that have been fantastic coordinators that cannot sniff a head coaching gig, right? It took Mike Mm -hmm. Zimmer like a decades to get given that opportunity. He's turned it down twice. I don't know how long you can rely on that, door continually knocking for you yeah and i think that you know to your point detroit being as alluring of a situation as it is like i said i think is a piece of the puzzle but i i don't think that that's the whole thing i do think that there is something else going on here and i wonder if it's the fact that not maybe not everybody is wired to immediately jump to wanting to be a head coach maybe he maybe he does not want to i, I think that people often lose sight of what it is to be a head coach you know when you're a coordinator you are in charge of your side of the ball and how the plays are called and what, what personnel to use and things like that when you're the head coach i mean you're way more than that not only do you have your hands on both sides of the ball but you're a ceo you're a people manager you're a coach manager a player manager you also have to work very very closely with the general manager you're the person who is doing every single post-practice interview, post-game interview, interview, post-anything interview. And so being a head coach is so much more than just being a good play caller, being successful on that side of the ball. You really have to want this. You have to want that kind of responsibility. And I don't know for sure that Ben Johnson doesn't, but when you talk about like, this is kind of strange, when maybe we should have looked at it a little bit more closely last year because he is from the Carolinas. Like, he played at North Carolina. This Him going back to be the Panthers head coach last offseason was like this homecoming thing. You know, up and right. coming, hotshot offensive coordinator, number one overall pick. You're going to be picking a quarterback. Like, you mentioned that, but all of those things stacked on each other. That Carolina job should have been the one that he took a jump for if he wanted to be a head coach right now. And we can sit here, you know, hindsight and say, oh, he, he must have known that the, you know, that the Panther stuff w- was was going to be terribly bad. I don't know if anybody knew that it was going to be that bad that we saw. Certainly Frank Reich didn't and the staff that he brought in. But yeah, I think that when you start to put together these pieces that we have seen about Ben Johnson and his decisions over the last couple of years, I just wonder if he wants to be a head coach. Because like you said, you can make the Carolina excuse. You can't really make that excuse with Washington or Seattle. Like, like even if you talk about 
geographically. One's on the far east coast, one's on the far west coast. Like right. you had your pick. You basically We're hitting had your everything. Pick here. <laughs> We're so, literally giving you a choice of anywhere in the country. <laughs> You're still turning it down. And I think, you know, he's 37. He's going to turn 38 in a couple of months. That's still young. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying that it's like, hey, just because you have this opportunity now does not mean you're always going to have this opportunity. But if he doesn't want it right now, then he, he doesn't want it. And now at this point, you have to wonder, like, does he really want to be a head coach? Because even getting more into you saying, oh, maybe these opportunities won't always exist for you. Okay, now if he becomes a head coach candidate next offseason, this is now the first question that all of them will ask. Not, hey, what are you going to do with our quarterback? What are you going to do with our offense? The first question that every team will ask was would be, you've interviewed now two years in a row. Right. Do what you actually want to be a head coach, or are you just taking this interview because you want a pay raise? Like, which one is it? So that now also I think will go into how this is handled in the future with Ben Johnson. And that is the interesting thing, because you've got some reports saying, look, the man, he's just loyal. He, he thinks he's got unfinished business. He wants to win a ring in Detroit. And then you have other reports coming out saying Ben Johnson wanted a ton of money. Um, I think it was Adam Schefter that, that posted shortly after, presumably fighting fire from the team side of things, saying yeah, it wasn't necessarily the guy anyway. And there were teams that were shocked by his demands, quote unquote. Uh, Josina Anderson had posted something from like way before this cycle from like December or something saying that Ben Johnson was apparently looking for 15 plus million dollars a year as a head coach, which is like two to three times what the average NFL head coach is earning. And right. we put him up with like Jim Harbaugh uh, money, you know, one of the best paid head coaches in the NFL. So it is this fascinating world now where there's reports of all kinds of stuff and you know, and even if those are true, right, let's say Ben Johnson's out here saying I'm not taking a job for less than 15 million dollars a year. That could be just because Ben Johnson wants an absolute ton of money. It could also be because he doesn't want the job. And that's his way of doing that. Right. Rather than just telling teams, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in your job. He's out here saying, I'm just going to price myself out of the marketplace and they'll make the decision for me. Like, right. That might right. be his way of staying in, in situ, you know, and also potentially getting a pay bump from the Lions along the way. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it's a thing where he's setting a wild number now, like, oh, my number's fifteen million. And it might me it might it might be crazy egregious for this cycle, but who knows? Maybe you've floated the number out there. And let's face it, if the Lions once again have an incredible offensive season, there might be a team next offseason that goes, I don't care. It's three years in a row now that he is that his offenses have dominated the league. Give him fifteen million a year. So it might be a crazy, egregious ask right now, but maybe just because he threw that one out there, maybe it's like the long term plan with I mean, him, where it's like, all right, if they're not going to do fifteen mil this year, maybe they will next year. Now that they know the price tag, I don't know. There are also people that just negotiate that way, right? Like, let's say Ben Johnson wants seven million a year. Well, the way of getting seven million is to go out here and say, tell them I want fifteen, and then when we finally <laughs> settle on seven, it seems like a bargain. You know what I mean? Like there are right. people that no, think right. that's the way you negotiate. So maybe that's what he's trying to do. And it just backfired. And in fact, they went 15, get the hell out of here. That's what, that's what I'm going to do with, uh, with Chris, uh, this yeah. off season. I'm going to say, Chris, I need 15 mil. And Chris is going to go, who are you again? And so then that's, that's where the, uh, that's where the, 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 um, yeah. the, the negotiations will start. 
And then you'll go, okay, I mean, thousand. And it'll go, cool, done. <laughs> it's perfect. That's how it's going to work. All right. Ben Johnson may be just looking after his family's financial future. And if you want to look after your oh, family's is. financial future, you need life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make other than hiring Ben Johnson. And the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the new year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right. Um, I need I need some kind of travel log from you. What was your process to get to Mobile? And then how weird was it standing there in front of a bunch of people in their underwear being put on a weighing scale? Uh, no, no, no. They don't they don't do they don't do the underwear weighing scale anymore. They they did oh. away with that. Instead instead okay. they tweet out the graphics so everybody gets right. the measurements at the same time and, the, and that, that's kind of the process. But no, it does take but, place, uh, right? You're just not in the room anymore. They do the, they do the measurements there, but it's not yeah it's not open to the public anymore. Right. Or not even not even like public like media. They do it they do it way behind closed doors. And yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't I don't think teams even do it like that. I think it's very much like normal. Like oh this guy weighs in, guy writes it down. That's it, and then they send it to all the teams. But anyways, uh, was it? Shrine Bowl practices over the weekend. Um, those were great. Uh, Shrine Bowl was was a really good time. It was the first time that it was in Frisco, Texas, uh, at the K Dallas Cowboys practice facility, which is gorgeous. Um, I can't remember which bowl game was hosted there, but they it's it's big enough. There, I mean, the practice facility is big enough and nice enough where they host a bowl game there. And uh, when you go there, you can absolutely see it. So, uh, really great facility. Really great couple of days of coverage. That was a lot of fun. Had some. Uh, had a handful of players, you know, especially a couple of wide receivers, Malik Washington, Taj Washington. Those guys really, really stood out. Renardo Green, Jerry and Jones, the defensive backs from Florida State, I think really stood out as well, really helped their stock. Um, more of a under-the-radar guy, Christian Boyd, the defensive tackle from Northern Illinois. Sometimes you go to these events and you just go, hmm, you're a very obvious NFL player that's standing out amongst people who might not be. And uh, it felt like that was Christian Boyd at the Shrine Bowl. So I thought he played very well as well. So there's a handful of Shrine guys that I think really stood out. But uh, this Senior Bowl roster is, like I said, a lot of fun. Top to bottom, it's one of the most talented that I've ever seen. Uh, so we were very eager to get over here as well. Had to travel through what I think is the worst airport, major airport in the country in Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay. Uh it's just, dude. It's it's. I I don't I don't mean for the Dallas Fort Worth airport to catch a massive stray here on the PFF NFL show, but that's what's happening. It's it's just it's just a feels like a labyrinth, man. It feels like a maze. So I mean, you got to take this tram to go this thing. You got to take this bus to go here, and then if you you got a certain gate and you go to a different check in, you can't get to the other one. And then when you get there, it's all confused. I don't know, man. It's just it's all over the place. Very lovely once you get past security. Very nice, ample mm. seating, great restaurants, very clean. That's all good. It's just navigating it, man. I feel like it doesn't need to be that difficult. 
I've never been through Dallas-Fort Worth. The one, the only one we, when we were booking our Super Bowl flights, right, there were a bunch mm-hmm. of different ways. And we didn't book them right away because the prices got jacked up with demand. And I'm like, I refuse. I'm going to wait. They're going to come back down. They're going to come back <laughs> to me. I just have to have patience, right? So we dragged it on for like a month. And every day, Gordon was like, have you booked your tickets yet? And he was like, nope. He goes, have they gone down? Nope. They're still going up. <laughs> have faith. Have faith. It's going to come back, right? They eventually came back down to us and we got them for cheaper. But for a while, it looked like we were going to screw everybody out of a lot of money. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How in jeopardy were you here of not making it? Oh, no, we were going to make it. It's just that it would cost Gordon like $500 each more than it was supposed to, right? (laughs) When we, If we just booked it when he told us to in the beginning. But anyway, of the various options that were getting us to and from Vegas, getting there was Mm -hmm. easy. Getting back was the problem. Um, And one of the options was routing us through Midway. Again, never been mm. through Midway, but I have heard that it is the worst possible place to have a layover. And so we were very against doing that. I think I've been to Midway once or twice, but I actually don't remember it being terrible. Mm. Maybe it's a it Chicago might, it, airport thing because I hate O'Hare. It, I think the O'Hare is terrible. Oh, no. Maybe I've flown through O'Hare. I can't, but I don't, I don't remember having a terrible experience in Chicago. So... I don't know. Maybe people are just soft. Maybe. No, maybe. Kidding. I just complain. I just complained about the Dallas airport. So I'm, you know, throwing rocks at a glass house, if you will. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we made it here though. We made it, we made yeah, it through the, uh, the the Dallas the Dallas airport. We made it. Um, I've so I've only ever been like through Mobile on the way to somewhere else, right? It's not like I've never sort of stopped there, and I'd never mm-hmm. you hear I've never been to Mobile for the Senior Bowl either. So I'm only kind of living vicariously through all you other people that do this, and. What's the place that everybody goes to? Like the the one bar in the street that it is called Veets. About? That's it's it. Veets is what it's called. Yes. So I I had only ever heard of this place, and I don't know what picture was in my head, but it was not the picture that was tweeted out by somebody I this week. Um, Jim, I, forget, it I might think have Jim, been Jim, I think Jim himself, himself tweeted it out. Yeah. yeah. He tweeted a picture of this place, and I'm like, that's seriously the place that everybody has been talking about for the last like five years. What is that? It's it's so truly like the fact that it is now very known and famous. I mean, the bar itself is. I, I don't mean to come off as harsh, but like it's <laughs> nothing special. You walk in the door and like it's just a it's just a big wooden bar. That's it. That's all it is. It's just fun because you know Mobile little less than it was. I would say you know five six years ago when the Senior Bowl wasn't as it wasn't as popular as it was as it is now now there are man it feels like there are more media members that go to the senior bowl every single year and before there were a lot of media members that covered the event but why Vitz was cool was you could go out as a media member and a lot of coaches would just be sitting at that bar drinking whether it's position coaches or scouts or you know GMs head coaches like they'd just be hanging around there and so it used to kind of be very low key i'm i am sure that there are a lot of coaches that still uh that still partake in a fun night at v it's just maybe doesn't seem like the every night thing that it used to be so uh there are many 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 uh, stories that uh probably begin at v it's you know how people say Oh, this combine deal or this uh, this NFL draft trade started at the combine, you know, right. over drinks and things like that. I I can guarantee you that some of those conversations also started in places like Veets at the Senior Bowl. So that's why it has so much uh, fame to it. I wonder how far a deal like that has ever gone before sobriety kicked in. 
you know? Because, you know, everyone's done some very oh. stupid things when they were drunk, but usually you don't have paperwork to sign when that happens, right? You just do something dumb. Whereas you can't get that far into an NFL transaction before somebody's got to fax something or, you know, there's got to be some paperwork signed somewhere, which means presumably there is a point where the sober person realizes what they've agreed to. And it's like, no, I can't. I, that, no, the deal's off. We're not doing that anymore. I would um, <clears throat> I would love to see all of the stacks of napkins that crazy <laughs> deals have been written on, you know, just like bar napkins. Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, I'll give you Aaron Rodgers for three first round picks, <laughs> like back in like 2011 or something like that, you know, something crazy. Because, oh, I'll try to remember the details. There was one that I heard not too long ago. It was just, that was like, it, 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 th- this stuff gets talked about. And it's GMs, head coaches, like, they just come up to each other at the combine and at events like this, and they just go, uh, "Yeah, what do you want from Mahomes?" And it, <laughs> and they'll just like they'll like obviously like have a conversation. It's like, no, what do you want? Like, what do you want like six first round picks? Like, if I offer you six first round picks, would you say yes or no? And it's in those moments that you remember that obviously these general managers have hopefully more experience and wisdom in these situations. But at the end of the day. They're fans a lot like we are, you know, they're there for the hypothetical. They're, they're, they're there to have like these crazy conversations of the what if and all that kinds of stuff. Cause yeah, there have been plenty of NFL trades that actually have happened that you go, how in the world was that guy available? How does he go for this kind of a price? All that stuff. And so it, it really comes down to places like that, where those conversations probably begin over, uh, uh, one or two bottles of liquid courage. Yeah, it's the answer to every one of those crazy trades that happens. And you ask yourself, how did that conversation even get started? It, th- right. This is the answer, like right like this. Um, anyway, let's get into the actual uh, week or the practices that you've seen. Uh, but first, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings, the leader in fantasy sports. And they've just dropped a brand new fantasy app called Pick 6. Pick 6 is the newest way for you to get in on the fantasy football action with DraftKings. Just pick between two and six NFL players and choose if they're going to have more or less of a stat. For example, will a player have more or less than 100 rushing yards or will a player have more than one touchdown? Track your lineup and compete against others for a, a shot at huge cash prizes download the DraftKings pick six app now and sign up with code pff that's code pff only on DraftKings. pick six the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER 18 plus in most eligible states but age varies by jurisdiction eligibility restrictions apply valid only in states where DraftKings pick six operates pick six not available in all states including but not limited to connecticut and New York for up-to-date list of states, please visit dkng.co slash pick six states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick six dot draftkings.com. All right, Trev. Um, standouts in practices. Uh, I have seen already one, uh, no, two, two videos of Lad McConkey, the wide receiver from Georgia, absolutely eviscerating fools. That was my pick of the players that would have the most viral tweets. So frankly, through confirmation bias alone, I am counting that. Yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to, uh, to insult a position group that is very confident and prideful, such as cornerbacks and defensive backs, but it sure felt like nobody really wanted the smoke with lab McConkey today. <laughs> like, I think, I think every single corner that lined up against him during one-on-one drills was like, 
shit, I'm about to get put on a video. Just because, because like the drill is already so skewed into the offense's yeah. favor. You have you have right. no help anywhere. There's no help over the top. Because normally, like we, unless you are truly playing island coverage, which not a lot of corners are asked to do that for most of the time that they are covering, you normally have some sort of linebacker help if they go inside, some sort of safety help if they get vertical, and you could be a little bit more aggressive in either how you press them or your uh, spacing or all this kinds of stuff. When you go one on in these one on ones. Ladd McConkey can basically go two ways at any time or even get over top of you. So, like, he, he basically has all the, the the freedom in the world to do whatever he wants. He's one of the crispest route runners that we have in this class. Most crisp, crispiest, whatever. He is so smart in – he recognizes defensive backs' leverage. If they're playing inside, he manipulates that. If he's playing outside, he'll take the space and he'll hit you inside. Like, it's just – it's it was it's too easy for him is essentially yeah. what I'm saying and and it feels as though people are I don't I don't think this is really the case anymore probably could have said this like two or three months ago people look at Lab McConkie and they go oh yeah mid round pick you know third fourth round slot receiver this guy is going second round at worst you know I I, I don't know if any team would think that he is good enough to be a first round pick but I'm telling you it's, it's second round at worst he's not getting out of the second round he's but just that's who yeah. The purpose of playing wide receiver is to get open. He does consistently all the time in a lot of different ways. And I think you already saw that in day one. Yeah. And that's becoming the conversation now. It's not, you know, where in the mid rounds is Ladd McConkey going to go? It's, is he a first rounder? Like that's now the conversation right. that's, that's happening with him. Um, and he's got wheels yep. as well. Like a lot of these guys that are, you know, pegged as just a slot receiver only and sure they can separate, but can they like he can run the hell right past people as well. Like that that's a serious part of his game. That makes him terrifying because he will snap off routes in a heartbeat, get a ton of separation. Or if you're not paying attention, he will just run clean off the top of the defense. Now you've got real problems. So yep. love his game. And again, sure it's confirmation bias, but I'm 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 counting this as a win that he's already putting up a bunch of crazy videos. Uh, who else stood out in the first day of practices? I think there were a lot of guys that were pretty impressive today. Um, I felt like the first one who kind of comes to mind is Tyler Guyton, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma. And, you know, Guyton is somebody who he played both sides of the ball when he was in high school. Um, he played tight end, I think, originally when he was at TCU before he got to Oklahoma. And then they moved him out to offensive tackle um, when he got into Oklahoma and he's been starting there over the last two years. This guy, this is somebody who also like grew up playing basketball. So he's got a basketball background. And the way that I consistently talk about or introduce Tyler Guyton is this. In an offensive tackle class full of really great athletes, Tyler Guyton to me is by far the best one. Like it, just the flexibility, the, the agility, the explosiveness, the strength, it, he has it all. But when you watch his tape, he's not very technically sound. You know, the hand placement is all over the place. It's inconsistent. The strike timing, the strike location, like it's just it, a lot of that stuff is very inconsistent from him. And because of that, you saw him be more of a like more of a pusher instead of like a real blocker, like someone who could get hands on you, get the grip strength, not let you, you know, be able to adjust to whatever a pass rusher was doing and stay in front of him. Instead, Guyton would mirror a pass rusher. In, as they kind of like tried to come up the arc or try to go in the middle and he would just kind of just he, he just like shoves them but when you when you're just a shover you are giving defensive linemen the ability to then redirect recover and then hit a counter move on you when you get your hands where they're supposed to be inside and you really control somebody 
reps over. You got to beat. So that was the area that we really wanted to see improvement from Guyton. And to be honest, we didn't see improvement in that area. But in the areas that I already liked from him, I liked even more after the early practice period today. He is super competitive. And you could tell that he knows that Chris Braswell from Alabama is the best edge rusher or the highest graded edge rusher that he's going to get to go up against in practices. Cause he's not on, he's not on Lyatu Latu's side. Like Chris Braswell is the best pass rusher that he has in his group. He wanted to go against Chris Braswell. In fact, like he gave Braswell like a high five right before they're there. They were about to duel one-on-one and Tyler gotten got the better of him. And then he gave him, you know, a tap on the helmet afterwards. And he just like, he he's just pumped, man. He just, he's a super competitive offensive lineman who seems to be a really driven player to be the best version of himself he can be. So when you when you we, when you kind of like confirm that and then you throw in the natural gifts, that's somebody that I'm I'm pretty much all in on now at this point and I'm I, and even though the film is not perfect, this is the kind of offensive lineman that you take in the first round. Yeah, and and he was one of those guys where even just from the measurables, like <laughs> he showed up and it take, ticked every box as being prototypical. Six foot seven, mm-hmm. three hundred and twenty eight pounds, thirty four uh, inch arms, uh, massive wingspan. I mean, absolutely as you would draw it up in terms of a wish list for a prototypical NFL offensive tackle with those movement skills. You know, there's. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the stories of, you know, Jason Peters being a former tight end. But if you can get a guy that can make that transition from having been a skill position out in space athlete to now being a tackle at that size, it is crazy what they're capable of doing. So, um, yep, that is massively interesting to, to see. One guy I, I asked you about before we went on, Xavier Leggett, the South Carolina wide receiver, listed mm-hmm. at six foot three, two 227 pounds. Um you know, I had been getting kind of DK Metcalf comps because of that. Measures six foot one, two hundred and twenty-three pounds with tiny little baby hands and relatively yeah, not short arms, but not, you know, no massive wingspan attached to him either. How right. badly do you think that damages his draft stock? Well, yeah, because I, I think a lot of people were on the fence with Leggett because this year, although it was a very good year for him, was the only real high production year that he had when he was at South Carolina. He was mainly used as a depth wide receiver and a special teams player over the last couple of years. And so this was kind of his breakout season. They said that he had an unbelievable uh, summer camp and that's why he was getting the reps early. Juice Wells goes down with an injury who was supposed to be their wide receiver one. And that meant a lot of those targets were now going to Leggett and he was worthy of them. He was a, a big time producing player, but you know, we talk about the DK Metcalf comps. It's it, would, it felt like that's how he was used, right? He was this yeah. vertical type of receiver who was a contested catch monster this season, and then he was also somebody that they would throw screen passes to, and they they allowed his athleticism to shine with yards after the catch. And so his usage, I think, reminded people a lot of DK Metcalf just as much as the measurables might have. But you know, when you when you take into account that this guy is not really a separation artist with his routes. He really is that contested catch type of a player. When all of a sudden you're shaving two inches off of his height, he's got smaller arms and he's got smaller hands than you thought, that sort of goes into your projection of, okay, if this is going to be your bread and butter in the NFL, you're not towering over anybody anymore. You are not. You don't have these pterodactyl arms to go attack the ball at the high point. Now, he still does. He still does all these things, but he... 
he feels a little bit like this year's maybe Rasheed Rice player, where the guy that you were in college, maybe I don't know if you have the ability to be that consistently at the NFL level, um, but I don't think that's that's exactly the comp that you would go with because Rice was still super explosive, and I think he could show he could be that sort of quick hit yards after the catch player. Even though I saw get, a lot of, I, I saw a lot of ahead, people bringing up um, Traylon Burks as a guy who you know just showed up and once the measurables were, it's like this is not the the person that we were we were built. This is yeah we've been, yeah and we've and been I sold a different that, model. That's the worry, right? Because Burks, for as much as he is very athletic, he's not a great route runner. Like he's he's not somebody that you can depend on in that regard, and so. To just win off of athleticism alone at the NFL level takes a rare player. And Leggett very clearly does not have rare measurables. And so it's it, it gets tougher to bet on that sort of a mold um, it, with the kind of production that you might be expecting given the year that he had in 2023. All right. Shorter shows this week because of the guys on location and the, uh, the hotel internet. So we'll be back tomorrow with Steve and for more frankly, for the PFF travel log, which I think, you know, with all due respect to Trevor's travel travails, uh, Steve, I believe from his Twitter account was shoved into the middle seat of a plane. So I believe it'll be interesting to find out how that went from him. We will, uh, we'll ask him about that tomorrow and see just how that trip was for the, uh, the big man, big goofy as the, uh, as the little kid called him. Um, but Trev, Appreciate it, good sir, for uh, showing up from the hotel in Mobile or from Jim Nagy's basement. Um, enjoy the rest of the week of practices, and we will see you all later. Bye.